0: You you have to vision, I think, everything that you're looking to say during a drive. Okay, so like the important thing is community this time. The important thing is media justice this time. And pick one message and then craft everything around it. Pledge
1: drives, membership drives, and fundraising. Those are the topics for this edition of Radio Survivor. Becky Myers is the development director for Community Radio KBOO. She joins us in the studio. Also, Jennifer Waits takes us on another college radio tour.
2: At a certain point, I think around the early 90s, there were students who started pushing for having it back under student control again, and the student protests worked.
3: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound of strong communities. My name is Eric Klein, host and co-producer of the program.
1: My name is Paul Reesonel. I am uh, your other host and co-producer. And with us in the studio is Becky Myers.
0: Oh my goodness. Yes, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming, Becky. (laughs) And you
1: are the development director for KBOO Community Radio here in Portland, Oregon. That's correct. Which we will call KBOO probably for the rest of the... Of the show, just yeah. so people uh, know that's it's how people generally know it.
0: Well, I'm, I'm so glad that you uh, clarified that, because sometimes people call it Kaboo.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs>
0: they do. Even our lawyers call it Kaboo. I will kaboom. be calling it Kaboo kaboom. from... No! not That was not the whole thing I was talking about. I won't about. be able to help <laughs> myself. Which is sort
1: of like Kaboom, the, the cereal. Right, Right. I don't know if they still make that. It was a retro cereal. Why did you invite Becky on the show today, Paul? I <laughs> invited her to come in and talk about development and yeah. in community radio stations. Uh, what does development mean when you're not in well, that world? Le- well, well, we'll talk about that.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's, it usually involves chemicals <laughs> and some film emulsions yeah. and a very dark room. Uh, no, but we'll talk about that in a minute or two. We get into the interview. We, we don't mean to, you know, we like to, we don't like to keep you waiting too much, the, you, the listener, that is, but we'll, we'll keep you waiting a minute or two. Um, and we'll, of course, have college radio watch right. later in the show with our friend Jennifer Waits keeping us up to date and was there a radio there's a radio tour on this on this episode yeah, she correct? toured um it, it was a recent tour we're, we're not uh, there's not this backlog of 2016
3: <laughs> uh jennifer toured the um the college station in uh, colorado
1: wonderful so we'll have that later on in the show first i have a couple uh points of news um for folks here in the northwest i want to let everyone know about the cascade radio network summit So this is a new network of community stations, podcasters, people wanting to work in radios for community benefits, social justice, coming together on September 17th in Tacoma, Washington. It's at the Asia Pacific Arts Center. Uh, check out our show notes. Check out radiosurvivor.com. We have more information about that. But that's, um, I don't know if I'll be able to go or not. Becky, I know KABU I... is is a uh, is a sponsor, co-sponsor of this. Yes,
0: and, and we've been co-sponsoring that since I think it's founding. But I, I personally don't have plans to go. I, I It's hard to get up
1: there. Yeah, it's to find the day and everything else. It's yeah. a few hours north here of, of Portland, Oregon. It's in the
0: middle of our membership drive.
1: Oh, yeah. So we'll definitely we'll be talking about that (laughs) The membership drive being an important aspect there um and it's sort of an outgrowth of the uh cascadia media convergence which has happened the last two years here in portland which has brought together people working in all sorts of community media including radio but also video and print and web forms but the radio uh section has been very well attended and was uh, it was a a lot of people showed up last year, and oh, yeah. we had a great visioning session. And I think uh, there's going to be some effort to try and take some of the ideas and some of those low key efforts that we identified and see what can be moved further along. Right. So. We talked about that on the podcast, I believe. The I think so. The, I think we were all week, there too. Like a year yes. Ago. Yes. We all
3: we met in 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 the real life meet space, but we also <laughs> um, we talked. To, Paul and I talked about that on. Uh, on the Radio Survivor
1: Show. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes at uh, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And then uh, a more nationwide thing, the Grassroots Radio Conference is happening again this year, October 7th through 11th in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hosted by a new community radio station oh. there, KUHS, which is solar powered. Whoa! Their transmitter and and antenna are solar powered. I know there. about
3: this Hot Springs, Arkansas. I've looked at it on Google Maps because someone uh, someone <laughs> enticed me. It sounds think about like a beautiful it. place. It looks beautiful on Google Maps. Let me tell you.
1: And I think actually uh, using solar power and alternative energy is going to be one of the topics uh, being talked about, and and that's particularly great for low-power FM stations because of the fact that they use low-power. You know, a a, a low-power FM transmitter uses less energy than like an air conditioner. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in many ways uses just a few incandescent light bulbs. So you, you can actually conceivably use solar power and batteries to power such a thing. And How that's useful. Toasting. Yeah. Exciting. <laughs> but also think about situations in which the power goes out. Yeah. Oh, right?
0: yeah. In a natural disaster that is now a super useful radio station to have around
1: Exactly. So I think that's going to be a great grassroots radio conference October 7th through 11th in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Um, and I think it's grc2016.org. If you're going, send us an email and let us know that you're yeah. going to be there. We'd
3: we love mean- to have a correspondent. Yeah. Please. And uh, you could podcast you know, at Radio Survivor.
1: Yeah. Please let us know. And then uh, this week, the FCC released the official full text of their revised. Media ownership rules. And this is something we've been talking about quite a bit on the show, mostly because the FCC has been recalcitrant. Long time coming. To do anything <laughs> no. about their media ownership <laughs> rules after 13 years ago. Yeah, this goes way back to the middle of the Bush administration. Yeah, releasing uh, terrible rules based upon shoddy, uh, ill uh, justified research. Uh, they've been in the woodshed now. And uh, for radio, we can say uh, the good news is no news. Uh, there are no changes. And while there are many people who wish that perhaps they would rescind and pull back a bit on and, and, and lower the media ownership caps, at the very least, uh, they did not move forward with loosen them, loosening them even further, which is what hmm. many in the broadcast industry wants to see them do. No news is good news is like really not good enough. It, well, but yet, nevertheless, <laughs> uh, we, we will not further dig the big hole. You're just has been taking done. what you you can at the moment, and he, exactly. And and again, uh, given how much that the uh, radio uh, commercial radio industry lobby to have the local limits either lifted entirely or or greatly loosened uh the fact that this fcc in a completely party line vote three to two uh with democrats prevailing uh held the line is still a victory of sorts as well the the current rules which restrict the co-ownership of tv stations and newspapers are also holding fast so no major changes to that but there's more to it than that And so we will have on Professor Christopher Terry from the University of Minnesota School of Law. He'll be on, we hope, next week to help explain this further and and give more context and uh, give us more ways to understand why this is good and what's disappointing about it all. So Looking forward to that. uh, Dukes, come back and hang with us next week. That was all my updates. So uh, we can turn now to talk a little bit about (laughs) development so that, I mean, I'll have you answer this question, Becky, better than (laughs) I. What what does a development director do at a community radio station?
0: Well, um, like many positions, we have many hats. In the nonprofit world, we typically work on the strategic planning of when throughout a year we do our fundraising. And fundraising can mean a number of things. We are talking about when we're writing grants and when we are expecting the money from said grants or when we're going to have membership drives or a direct mail campaign or a number of other, you know, campaigns that we typically think about, but in community radio, the lot of what I do specifically is the strategic communication surrounding our fundraising or how does a community radio station talk about itself in a way where, um, you know, the undertone is we need your support what we do is really important to the public good, and you know how do you talk about yourself in this way that encourages people to support you? So we're going to pull this apart a little
1: bit because I know that I'm um, certainly there'll be folks listening. I think who I've been in community radio a long time. Oh yeah, a lot of this, they know a lot of folks who are new who are building new low power FMs and and don't have a lot of experience or folks at stations that that have been around a long time but just haven't had a lot of time or energy often to dedicate to their fundraising. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you say, you know, camp. you have a strategic plan. Right. Uh, You know, I think people hear that word sometimes and they feel immediately... A little nervous, a little scared. They're like, oh my gosh, this sounds like an enormous thing, a strategic plan. I I don't know what our strategy is. Never mind what the plan's going to be. Right? Can you break that down, like kind of <laughs> like like in in the simplest terms? Like, what does that kind of look like?
0: So you know, throughout a year, there are more uh, appropriate times when people are thinking about giving to the nonprofit of choice. So towards the end of the year when you're taking a look at your finances and saying, Oh goodness, like it's time for me to, you know, up my, you know, uh, my, my, my philanthropy and, you know, time for me to, um, sort of plan ahead, you know, that, that end of the year time is say better than, you know, at the very beginning of the year in January and February. Why is that? It's, it's just a taxier thing. Uh Uh-huh. Like if you, um, you know, make a donation at the very beginning of the year, you may have, you know, you had that whole entire year to kind of figure out, you know, how does that fit into your other financial plans? And and that's what I mean by stra- like strategic, like uh, at at what times of the year does it make the most sense to run specific campaigns? Okay.
1: So at the end of the year, you think people, one, they're maybe thinking, oh, I'd like to have... I need a little bit more write off for folks Uh who who are able to itemize their deductions. Absolutely. Uh, Often people who own homes is is a a big component of this or people who make a lot of money Mm -hmm. um, who you definitely want to target as as a community radio station. You you hope to have some folks in your audience who can spare a little bit more money. So you think at the end of the year, they'll be they're thinking about, oh, I might want to up my charitable contributions and look for places to. To to place that money to, to give that money
0: right and it, it sets the timbre of the year's fundraising too like these people who have you know like more liquid assets that they can they can donate to community radio stations and other nonprofits indeed and that sort of fuels the the kind of efforts that we as fundraisers do, um, we don't necessarily rely on just the big givers, mm-hmm. and we in fact have found through a number of different studies that you know it's the folks who don't necessarily itemize, they don't necessarily have, you know, the the endless sort of like giving capacity that truly make up our constituency. It's, it's just folks, you know, like myself, who I, I give lots of money to nonprofits and to community radio every year, but I, I really don't make that much. So. Right.
1: <laughs> right. And, and as we've seen, I think um, with sort of the, the changes in the, like sort of political fundraising, uh-huh. uh, through, you know, both the sort of Howard Dean campaign into the Barack Obama campaign.
0: That's in, in the Bernie Sanders campaign, small donors have, have, Added up, actually, to quite a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah, billions of dollars, twenty-seven dollars at a time. I think is their their whole thing, right? But but th- that's totally true. Um, for Kebu as an example, we have you know over eight hundred thousand dollar yearly budget, and eighty percent of that is individual contributions. That's fantastic. Yeah, so our uh, membership is is truly important to us, but it's also, I think. Part and parcel of community radio, which is, in fact, a community of people who not only make the radio, but also support it and also, you know, do everything that helps to um, make it thrive and make it grow. Now, do you have a sense of how that kind of proportion
1: of being individual contributions How does that compare to sort of nonprofits as a whole or sort of bigger nonprofits? Do do, do you have any sense for that?
0: Um, Absolutely. So um, I I had worked for a time at the National Indian Child Welfare Association. And the bulk of the money that comes in through that is through federal and private foundation grants. So um, I would say that a percentage uh, wise, I I, I don't remember now or have a, a good grasp on what it is currently, but it is definitely under 30%. Mm-hmm. So to have um, an a organization that has, you know, this large percentage of it being individual contributions is, is, is specific to a, a certain type of nonprofit, that of the membership organization. So we wouldn't be able to say that we were a membership organization if we, say, have our membership go below 33%. Okay. So, like, it, it, there's a pretty hard and fast line in terms of nonprofit law. And the, the policies that surround, you know, the the credentialing of nonprofits that, you know, we, we talk about ourselves in a certain way as prescribed by law in that way. I see.
1: Uh, but yet, you know, there's a big distance between 33 oh percent and 80 percent. Right. So <laughs> yeah. so. What's an advantage as 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 a radio station and a nonprofit to having that level of individual donor support as opposed to relying more on maybe
0: fewer but bigger donors? Well, that there's a huge advantage, actually. So um, the presumption with grant writing and federal funding, for example, is that, you know, uh, you get these larger amounts, you do less work to get it. But there's uh inconsistency as to whether or not you get that money and whether or not it will be available at all for you. Uh, we recently in the local area had a foundation who has been a great supporter of KBU and a great supporter of nonprofits in general totally retool their program. Mm. So they, you know, have they still have the amount of money that they're willing to give out as grants, but their terms have changed in a way that like I don't think they fully even know either until like they went through the whole process of applications and going through everything. But there are folks who I'm sure have gotten grants from them consistently in the past and then didn't have it anymore because they had like changed their policies and same, especially with federal funding. Federal funding comes from appropriations that can change on a yearly basis.
1: Right. So it's a case in which you can, especially, you know, maybe if you get this funding year after year, you start to depend on it, you take it for granted. And yet It still could be precarious due to all sorts of things outside of the organization's control. And I know, you know, say 20 years ago, uh, almost, uh, you know, a lot of cases, uh, Corporation public Broadcasting funding was was controversial in in community radio because in some cases uh, there are strings attached. Oh, yeah. (laughs) uh, And then that has changed over the years um but also there was was at least some folks stood on the ground of saying well even if there aren't strings attached uh you know, becoming dependent on this money might bring you out of touch with your community because yes. th- for some smaller stations, it could make up more than thirty or forty percent of their budget. Th- mm-hmm. This funding that comes from the federal government—it's appropriated by Congress—but uh, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting is itself an independent body, so its appropriations are independent. But the money it gets, how much it gets, is, right, is utterly dependent upon plot. Congress. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and so I've you know I know that 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 was awfully controversial. A lot has changed. In those twenty years, in fact, community stations tend to get less uh, CPB money than they used to, and that there's been a lot there's been a narrowing of how much money goes to radio in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that uh, recently, uh, KABU, and you you led an initiative to apply yeah. for and get some CPB money,
0: and and we were successful. We totally that happened, and it it does constitute a pretty large perspe- uh, percentage of our whole. However, um we're we're taking a look at the past and knowing that, you know, we had had CPB money before and it went away. Yeah. It, it went away in like a pretty spectacular dramatic way and <laughs> That's what happened to a lot of stations. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean like, you know, there there are lots of reasons for it, but we the the way that we were able to survive and the way that we were able to even thrive over time was because we had individual contributions and our community really stepped up to make up the difference Mm -hmm. in a lot of different ways. I mean, the individual contribution membership model, of course that was helpful, but they, you know, they, they came in, they made radio, they like became engaged with the board. They did all variety of things, I think, because they were responding to this crisis that was, you know, manufactured in this way because we had lost CPB right. money. So with this newest grant,
1: you're are you looking at it more like like a one time grant, um, rather than something which you're building in and expect to be repeated? I, and I don't know the terms of this grant at all. So. Right,
0: right. Well, um, CPB is interesting in that um, it is uh, like a quarter of it is restricted funding, so that you either buy or create national programming mm-hmm. and then the other 3 quarters are unrestricted but of course you can't buy cars and they have <laughs> you know like well I guess you could if it were for the station but right. like I personally don't get you know like a kickback kind of thing but uh, but additionally like there there are other rules um I'm looking at it from a capacity building status mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. A, whatever we can do in order to increase our capability um, at the station, to be able to either fundraise more, or to provide better community support and engagement, to further digital equity, those are things that we're kind of considering right now. But as to what our plan is, we we found out about a week ago. Right. Yes. yes. <laughs> so
1: so one of the things you mentioned, so you said that's part of a strategic plan. You're looking at this calendar and you're looking at uh, when during the year are times in which people are apt to give, in which there are good mm-hmm. times to ask people. To give money, so what kind of? And you mentioned campaigns. Right. So, 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 you know, in short, what is a campaign?
0: So, a campaign has multiple pieces of fundraising in it. So, if if we were to say. Um, you know, do a direct mail. All we're doing is sending our um, constituents and members a, a piece of mail that says, hey, we're really important. We need you to step up and, you know, help out. Then that that's just one kind of arm of that. A campaign has multiple pieces, like either the development of collateral, which could be like uh, and to explain collateral is like um, brochures, it's marketing mm-hmm. materials, it's um, even T-shirts and things like that. Um, but developing that in conjunction with the message that you send out in some other way. So a membership drive is technically a kind of campaign. Okay. And 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 you can you know further expand on that. Like uh, I've learned uh, this past year, we had a one day drive during the summer, and it went pretty well. But I think that there there's room for improvement in that we would have a direct mail very intimately sort of tied in with it. And and it would be like, it would serve two purposes. People will give, but then they're also aware of this, this campaign. And then hopefully it, you know, we see that success when we can reduce the amount of time that we spend on there for fundraising drives, which is exciting.
1: So uh, that's a great example. So, I mean, I think a lot of people should be familiar with the idea of a pledge drive or Mm -hmm. membership drive, as you call it, because you, you are bringing on new members. Right. Um, and so often, I think people are used to it. They you know, hear it last a week, maybe two weeks on, on a station. Maybe that's what they're accustomed to running. Mm-hmm. And so in this case, you said you did a one-day drive.
0: Yeah, it was a marathon drive. So we we started it at seven in the morning, ended it at seven at night or seven the next morning, mm-hmm. and yeah, had an overnight component and people at the phones and stuff. But the overnight part was hard. It didn't that part didn't work super well for us. Meaning so. there weren't a lot of calls. No. Hardly any between, and, and- between midnight and two AM. No one- between midnight and like five AM. Yeah. yeah. Now, <laughs> now
1: in, in your typical drive, and so you, normally you do like something along the lines of a two-week right. membership drive. Mm-hmm. Do you normally do much overnight?
0: Oh no, not for that. We have a phone bank, and so the 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 part that's difficult is that like. You know, you have to have a, a supervisor. There's right. this whole staffing component, and and to have people uh, awake and uh, functional <laughs> and fed and caffeinated for fourteen uh, nights. For fourteen <laughs> nights, it's like it's it's a little overwhelming, <laughs> right? It, it and and in
1: a way, you know, I mean, it's sort of like you hadn't trained your listeners you know right. you're overnight cuz so you probably have at least some small component of listeners who really only listen in the overnight hours
0: absolutely and, and they, they they're, they're not used trained. to it yeah, yeah. so
1: uh, you know in a way they they weren't ready they for the message they used to getting their radio for free
0: or, or, <laughs> right exactly yeah i mean to some extent um, Unobstructed by the message please yeah. give us money so so why did <laughs> you choose to do
1: yard workers why did you choose to do a 1 a 1 day drive what what's the what was the advantage or the perceived advantage
0: well one of the things that we're toying with is the reduction of on air fundraising, yeah. and we know that that's you know a very effective way to go about it. But I mean, we all know as radio people how the public perceives on air fundraising, and it's typically a time for people to tune out or do something else. So, so it's it's considered to be you consider it to be a little problematic the, the amount right. of time
1: you spend on air fundraising, right? Especially over
0: like days, you know, like in, in it, not since I've been there, but I've been told that we've had month long. Membership wow. drives. Okay. Yeah. So, so I can I can see that being a bit frustrating as a listener. And so the one day drive was an experiment, and and the reason why we did it was because we were hoping to see if in that one day we were able to raise an adequate amount of money in order to start benchmarking less days throughout the year. Uh-huh. And you know, like we we learned a lot of really great lessons. And next year when we do it again, I think we'll have a lot more success. Is, is
1: there a big lesson you can share? Uh, aside from the overnight lesson.
0: <laughs> yeah, the overnight lesson is, is a good one. But also, you know, the, the campaign piece is super important. We had a, um, a, a direct mail that we had sent out and it was it was tied into another program. Like we have a youth collective. We, okay. we made it all about them. We had them tell stories or cute pictures of kids, things like that. And, you know, we didn't tie it into the drive. And I think that was a, a missed opportunity in promotion and fundraising.
1: So, what you're saying is that you you kind of wish you'd sent out a direct mail piece. Oh yeah, for that. Yeah, for, specifically for the mm-hmm. for the one day drive. And so, you know, for some stations, I'm sure they this is what they do. Other stations may not have ever done uh, direct mail. Mm-hmm. So what what's the what's the point of doing? this uh, in different ways. Like, you know, you hear like a membership drive, people think of it as non-air. So what's the, the, what's the point of kind of bringing together a direct mail or even some other sort of communication into the picture?
0: Well, it, it, I think it's important that we have a number of ways where we're listening to folks and, and taking the feedback that we get from listeners and from donors and, and kind of integrating it with our planning. If we can reduce the amount of time that we're on the air, you know, maybe that encourages people to give So are more. you explaining this to them? Yeah, we try. That was part of the messaging for sure. Like we're doing this this one day. You have no other chance to do it. You know, you gotta, you gotta be, you know, part of the team. And you know, this is an experiment. We need you to help us uh-huh. fulfill the experiment and see if it's successful. So it's
1: important then yes. to, for the for the message to be something more than we need your money.
0: Absolutely. And <laughs> and that's across the board the case. Like okay. if, if I were to give advice to anybody that's looking to do fundraising for their stations, it's you can do like a begathon. You can do this kind of thing where you're you're very specifically asking for money. But I, I think it's important to tie it into community and the community building piece. And that's that's what people Give for they give for values they give for being part of a community they don't simply give because you're doing some cool thing now that sounds great but my question is how do you do it oh. how do you tie the, <laughs> how do
1: you tie that together in a way which is clear and sort of explicit mm-hmm. you know because I think what happens is we it, those of us who are steeped in it the community benefit. Part of it oh, becomes yeah. implicit. Like mm-hmm. we all are like, well, we all know this. We all, we, we all here at the radio station and amongst our, you know, our friends and maybe people who don't work there but are adjacent big supporters, we get why it's here. Um, we just sort of assume that the, the tens of thousands of people who tune in on the dial must also get it because why else would they be listening?
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, that's a thing that that's a little hard to get past as somebody who's do- doing messaging for radio because it is implicit in our understanding and culture. But but to everybody else around you who's listening, it's they're consuming this. Like this is something that they listen to in their cars or they, they podcast later or stream on an app or something. And so you you have to vision, I think, everything that you're looking to say during a drive specifically, like just sit down beforehand and kind of like, OK, so like the important thing is community this time. The important thing is media justice this time. The important mm. thing is like and pick one message and then craft everything around it. So, like your visual components, if you do social media marketing, they all center around that mm. idea. If you put ads in the paper, if you do a direct mail, all of these things tie into the one message, which is community radio has this importance beyond the fact that we're making it. It's that we're in it together and then how does it reach out to the greater community.
1: And so do you have, do you craft language and maybe taglines? Absolutely. That, that you hand over to your DJs and your hosts to, <laughs> to use? Is that something you do?
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're um, actually, when I leave here, I'm going to go home and I'm going to write up a document called our, our pitching points. Yeah. And so it has a few pages and, and I think we can, we have some room for improvement there too and I'm, I'm gonna look into that but you know I, I sit down I write down some points you know with the the, the messaging sort of built in because it's it's hard yeah, as like someone pitching
3: yeah because I can I've heard this I've heard it so many times listening to my favorite radio stations I've heard the the host they don't want to do it <laughs>
0: right exactly they, they don't want to be it. there they will say yeah, that to you they're,
3: they're or, but maybe even they mean well. I've heard worse. <laughs> I've heard hosts who have uh, been hostile to the station while uh, pretending to fundraise. Oh, that's ouch. a different problem. Uh, they don't want to do it because, like, I mean, for one thing, uh, they're volunteers. They're probably also worried about uh, right the rent. I suppose right.
0: their, their lives too. And then, and then they, um,
3: I, you can just hear it all the way down to the bottom of their personalities, how uncomfortable they are in that mic
1: break moment, asking the listeners, right? They project themselves off. Like, I don't, I can barely afford. So how can I ask people who I yeah. Yeah. think are much like me and, and, and probably to be true, probably many of them are, can, they can barely afford. How yeah, can so I ask? How do you, how yeah. do you help that host? <laughs>
0: Well, the way that I I like to think about it is I I, I don't know, like philosophically, I I kind of deconstruct everything that I I can. And in terms of pitching, there's, I think, an automatic kind of... Issue where people lend themselves to this innate classism like, oh, you are important because you put in this higher dollar amount or you can be part of this really exclusive club, which I see a lot in other public media places where like the sustaining giving, for example, is some kind of club mm-hmm. or it has some like prestige or something like that. But but that's the only sort of support and information that people get is for these Big things, right? And and you know, it, it's difficult to speak to that if you yourself are, you know suffering from poverty in any sort of way or if you you know like don't connect with that message whatsoever there's a like exclusivity and classism to it that that feel really weird and so of course like you yourself like every fiber of your being is like no i don't want to perpetuate this even yeah, if right. subconsciously like that that's what's going through your mind and unconsciously you're just like okay Well, now I have to talk for five minutes about something that I don't connect with whatsoever. (laughs) So do you train people? We do. You put people through. Yeah. I mean, that's
1: certainly what I've done in a previous life in community radio is we put people through trainings and try to hear them out on their concerns Mm -hmm. to the best of our ability during these trainings, but also get them rallied around these points and 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 thinking about how they present themselves on air and getting comfortable and it's one of those things which I mean I I know I learned to, get to do weeks and weeks and weeks <laughs> in advance and you say you're working on 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 your uh, your pitch yeah, points yeah. right and when is how far off is your next drive It's
0: not that far it's um, September 9th so okay. I I'm, I'm kind of bringing it down to the lawn <laughs> how, how many how many
3: days is it planned for 14
0: Okay and yeah.
3: is it is uh is this the kind of fund drive that um, ends date certain or do you go until you make the goal
0: so that's a great question another strategy that we have um, and we've been employing for a long time is we have a sweepstakes drawing beforehand and so we send out information to our constituents yeah so in Oregon and, and this may be the case in other states but I'm sure not across the board Um, There's very specific language you can use in terms of prize drawings, raffles, things like that. Like you have to have a license here to do a raffle. Hmm. and So um, it's not a circumvention. It's just uh, for us, we state that you can enter if you don't make a donation. This is the way that you can do it. But if you put in your name by a certain point... And if you become a member by a certain point, then you are entered to win some kind of amazing prize. Like this time, we have um, a trip to uh, Bucerias in Mexico with flight included, like that Mm. kind of thing. Okay, but um, but part of it is also subvert the drive piece. And so, if we're able to make a specific goal before the drive Mm -hmm. starts, then we can take a day off the end, and we've increased that number. I ran a
1: campaign like that now, going back about eighteen years. I think oh, 1998 that would be 18 years am I not correct uh we we called it we uh what do we call it? cut the drive short yeah um and you know which requ- which which means that you are really starting your drive mm-hmm. about a month early
0: oh yeah <laughs> because
1: you actually start the campaigning on air
0: mm-hmm.
1: quietly so not in a sort of saturation sort of way you don't you don't interrupt regularly you don't you know programs. what you do is you put it in right. like a PSA you just say, oh, uh, our fund drive is coming up. We need your help. Maybe not a month ahead, but you know, we need some messaging but a while. scheduled like you, out. Yeah. A month Saying, is a good time. And so if you want to help us in that endeavor – you know, at that point, we didn't have online giving, but, you know, but look in your mail. If you're a member, we've sent you something and you can whatever. And and then you send out mailing, you send out a direct mail to people say, hey, if we get this. And and at least the first two times we ran that, we were successful in cutting cutting short that first time by about three days. Dang. Uh, I think only about one day that second time. And I'm, I don't know that it was really tried in such a uh, consistent or focused sort of manner again, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in part because you run a message out, right? People hear it too many times and they tune it out. And it stops to work as well. Um, but, you know, moving away from pledge drives. Mm-hmm. So that's not all oh, that no. you work on. At oh, K- no, no, no. So give us a sense then, you know, because I think for many stations, often that pledge drive, the fun drive, constitutes the uh,
0: right it's sort of the flagship the the majority
1: it it almost often constitutes just about everything right so what else do you do to try and and sort of uh, diversify your fundraising
0: well uh, we try to encourage a, a number of different programs outside of membership and outside of Underwriting, Because those are other places. I mean, like we just talked to the membership piece, but underwriting is another big part of our fundraising. Um, I, you know, have helped to get the car donation piece out, like encouraging people to give cars that don't necessarily even work to KBU and then a um, uh, entity, the Center for Car Donations, will process it and give us a check. There's also employee matching programs. Those um, are pretty straightforward to try to apply for, and in fact, um, that's up to the member to be able to do that. And that's a great opportunity for folks who, say, have a really limited budget to donate to nonprofits for them to maximize that amount. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we have the Give Guide here in Portland, which is uh, a fundraising uh, vehicle through a website that uh, one of the weeklies put together. Will I met week, um, and they run it for two months or something. Like it starts at the beginning of November and at the end of the year, and they do a lot of the marketing as well. So it's like a concerted marketing effort. Yeah, that, a bunch that of Give people.
3: Guide is a real nice looking insert in the weekly where they. Um, oh yeah. They do some. They do a little bit of reporting on all of the organizations that they're promoting,
1: and um, yeah. And all these things happen at yeah. different times. Absolutely. So you have a calendar in front of you. Mm-hmm. To help you chart through this. And then you also, I mean, you apply for the CPB grant. Do you apply for other types of of grant giving?
0: Yes, I do. Well, I mean, mostly um, foundations, like private foundations and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, We haven't, outside of CPB, we don't really get money from other federal agencies. But, um, you know, we'll also have people make major gifts. And that's another piece, too, is the cultivation of major giving in your station, which, you know, for a small outfit, it it might be a little harder to do mm-hmm. because that takes a lot of time, and the cultivation piece is is definitely like hands on for sure. But yeah, we 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 raise money in a number of different ways: um, online giving, um, tying that into social media outreach. Um, you know, we're also. You know, fundraising kind of fits through everything that we do. It has to, and so we we speak to the support that we you know kind of need from the community when we do humongous live remotes, like we we have a three or no four day blues fest live remote that we share amongst all of these stations um, throughout Oregon with Oregon community media, we pay for the internet. We Mm -hmm. pay for like, you know, a number of different things for this along with our, you know, the staffing folks and the, you know, the necessary improvements to equipment and everything. So, you know, like how, how are we able to increase, you know, our, our capacity, as well as promote the station and this cool thing that we're doing, all at the same time. That's part of one of my my job. Now that's a lot. Yeah, and and I <laughs> wonder
1: how do you? I mean, the reason why I think pledge drives and, and membership drives tend to be station's main, if and sometimes only, fundraising uh, mechanism is because it takes so much effort. It, yeah, it takes so. I mean, it's so it, it's a whole station effort. And just even pulling that off. So with that on your plate, how do you manage to do all this other stuff?
0: <laughs> I don't know. Well, so, I mean, do you have help? I mean, that's. I do. I have. We we recently were part of a summer works, and um, with the Immigrant Refugee Community Organization here in Portland, we hosted a number of youth for internships throughout the summer. Okay. They worked full time. Um, we have that. We have. I mean, uh, the community around Kebu is incredible and passionate, and there are a number of people—hundreds of them. That help with all the things that we do at the station. So there are volunteers who regularly help me with my work and posting to social media. And, and you know, the everything. person who calls
1: up and says, "Hey, I never got that pledge drive premium."
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Luckily, you know, we have a membership director who who works on that. And oh, okay. Uh, yeah. So in at Kibu, we have you know this kind of three pronged revenue approach. So I I work on you know like grant writing and the strategic planning piece, and then the alternate alternative giving programs that normally don't get very much like mm-hmm. attention. You have to put some attention into it. We have an underwriter who does the underwriting program. Okay. And then um, the membership director who does all of the the membership processing. Cause for all the messaging that I do, there has to be follow through. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and that was my real question because yeah. I know having, I've run a pledge drive. So I know from A to Z,
0: <laughs> all of these little
1: tiny steps that have to happen. Yeah. And I, and, and it is pretty much a year round process. Even if you only run two to three drives, you're, you're basically working on it all year. Yeah. So that's why I, I wanted. And, and I think that that, that setup is, and you can tell me I'm wrong. I don't see it so often. I see very often, like you have somebody who is basically a development director which really means they run pledge drives, mm-hmm. and then we keep hoping and begging that they'll apply for some grants here and there, and we can pull oh something God, off, and the, then they burn out yeah. and they go somewhere else. <laughs> it's <laughs> a cycle yeah. I've seen repeat itself time and time again. Oh, yeah. Um, and so uh, it seems to me, and you you know other, you more know more development people in, in radio than I do is this a common model or you see more, you know, the, the having at least a membership director in addition to, to a development director, or is it more often one person's trying to do all this, all this stuff?
0: It really depends on the size of the station though, right? Like you have larger stations. I I would say, you know, some of the bigger NPR networks, for example, they have a development director, a membership director, they have directors for all this. And then you have like your major gifts officer, you have the person who's in charge of, you know, fulfillment in like this very specific way, there's a number of staff under the director and the director is supposed to give that strategic planning piece. But in a smaller station, you're like, you mentioned, you probably are doing all of the fundraising Mm -hmm. in conjunction with the management and the folks that, you know, their
1: efforts to it. So, and so you've talked with people at stations of all different sizes. If you're going to give them some advice, (laughs) <laughs> of, of where they could put their efforts. So let's sort of, and, and I know with many new low power FM stations, I can't really necessarily take for granted that they do on air fund drives and some stations choose not to for all sorts of reasons. Mm-hmm. But so putting that aside, if they were, if they either are already doing that or maybe don't want to do that, where would you put? focus efforts? Where where would be sort of the best uh, bang for the buck, if you will, the best sort of return for one's efforts in terms of uh, focusing on fundraising?
0: Well... That's a really good question. There, it, it depends on the strengths of the people like that are fulfilling those roles. Right? Okay, if whether were, they are
1: in, to, to, to an extent, whether they're volunteers, and, right. and, and and whether they're paid for their time and how much of it,
0: right, or if they they've had experience with grant writing. Mm-hmm. If I mean, you are a seasoned fundraiser in that way. If you've written many grants and you've been in like you know the forest service or you've oh, okay. done you know all yeah. this stuff, then you probably are bomb at like. Writing so let's grants. say
1: we're new low power FM. Right.
0: I would say on-air fundraising. That is your that is your number one way to do that. And you know, getting on the ground and doing the footwork to get connected with local businesses, especially within your broadcast area. You so know.
1: underwriting essentially. Underwriting, underwriting. And, and sorts of sponsorships like that. Yeah,
0: and underwriting is a big deal in that, but it can also tie into your on-air fundraising in that like those folks can either, you know, provide matches for that particular piece like that you can have like a matching period during the day so if you call in right now you know joe's pizza is um happy to or not happy i mean that's that's not a good wording for it (laughs) no you can't qualify it like joe's like thank you joe's pizza for providing a match everyone who calls in now will have you know their their dollar amount doubled i see that kind of thing or they can do you know like they donate food for the folks that are answering phones or doing fulfillment and stuff. That's a humongous piece of it too, is that they can support the station outside of giving money, Mm -hmm. you know, supporting with food and promotions. So developing these
1: relationships. Yeah. And, and would you say that sort of the on-air fun drive is a piece of developing that relationship with your listeners in a different way? Absolutely.
0: Yeah. 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 It's a different way to do it. Um, you know, they're part of the community too. bringing them into your community is probably one of the most important things that you can explicitly state on on the air.
1: Yeah. And, you know, we, we assume there's often the assumption that people hate pledge drives listeners. Right. And yet I had the experience many times answering phones and talking, and taking pledges over the phone of people who loved it. Mm-hmm. Right. Who, who and in particularly loved it in, in community radio. Because uh, there was so many different voices, so many different ways of expressing. Often, hosts may did special programming. Oh yeah, so they would they would do something that they don't normally do that enhanced, well, you know, their right, normal output. You, yeah, exactly. Oh, but there were some listeners who said, "No, I I actually really love it because I, this is the time when I really feel great about what you guys do, and I really know more, mm-hmm. you know, and and right, and I think that there's a sense that if. You and your station approach fundraising of all types with trepidation, Mm -hmm. with with looking at your shoes and feeling like you don't deserve it or you can't ask. Right. People tend to respond in kind.
0: Yeah, there has to be an energy behind that. And, And another focus to that, too, then is like that cultural shift, right, is to make people within the station feel like, you know, that passion, the thing that brings them there is is super important and that people are listening and they connect with that as well. I mean, like a a fun drive is also a great opportunity to get input from your audience, Mm -hmm. you know, that you can ask them to call in and it's not simply, you know, putting money where their values are. It's them being able to say to some other, uh, other person, you know, that may be their neighbor, that may be the person they see in the store and just say, Hey, I also love this radio station. I love it for this reason.
1: And would you recommend the de- developing that direct mail? I mean, I guess if you're a new station, you haven't run a membership drive, you don't really have much of a list. Yeah,
0: that's the thing. You have to have constituents in order to send the direct right. mail. I mean, like there, there are other ways to do it, too. Um, NFCB has been a great resource in that way. They put together a, a way to take a look at the folks that are within your geographic region, you know, hmm. using census information and reaching out to them that way.
1: Prometheus Radio Project put together an online tool for local power fms that mm-hmm. does something similar that again that to help you identify exactly who is especially for low power fms because the, the footprint tends to be so much smaller oh yeah who really is here so that you can look geography and really look at the map and mm-hmm. make sure and this is advice that i think we've said on a show and i've given uh on email at time and 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 writing posts it's like for for these new stations where you maybe you have a three mile radius right get out there Walk the streets, especially exactly. local businesses, other nonprofits, mm-hmm. uh, arts organizations, yeah. just about anybody. Hello, introduce yourself. Don't necessarily ask for money right up front. No,
0: just be like, "Hey, I am your neighbor, and <laughs> you are part of this community too. We're building a community with your, you know, the LPFM you know frequency, and and that's a humongous strength to LPFM, and why I think it's a super exciting time to be part of one i I also volunteer at freeform portland so i i love the fact that it it's hyper local that you know these are basically like neighbors to one another and so like they're building relationships within that neighborhood and strengthening it one like group at a time
1: and that brings me to one last piece i want to talk with you about because um you know so i you know You and I work together on (laughs) some stuff here in in, in Portland. Uh, I don't volunteer specifically at any community radio station, Mm -hmm. but... uh, because of uh, your program director, Aaron Yankee, I got introduced to you yeah, and have now also met folks because of Eric. I, I met folks at X-Ray FM, which is another community radio station I went on the air about two years ago. Yeah, roughly. Then we have Freeform Portland, which, uh, Eric, you covered their, their uh, raising up their tower. And so we have all these new community stations going on the air in Portland. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that you and Aaron have worked with me on is is how do we get all work together? Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, I I remember uh, in the first wave of low power FM, some community radio stations that have been established often had raised eyebrows at some of the new low power FM stations going on, going up in their midst. Sometimes wondering, oh, my gosh, are we just going to split this pie even thinner or... (laughs) Sometimes wondering, you know, especially maybe in towns where uh, there's just enough people to support the station, right? Rather than a larger community like like a Portland or a Minneapolis or a bigger city, and often wondering, well, are they is it are they doing this? Because you know, is this a message that we're insufficient? Right? right. Is this a message? You right. know, did we miss something? <laughs> why aren't right. they? Why aren't they? What coming, are we doing? That? Why are they coming you, you, here? and strengthening doing. our station instead of creating another one? But it seems like the approach you're taking <laughs> is, is one of like open arms and saying, yeah. "Hey, new stations! Right? How do we work Let's together?
0: How do we know each other? I mean, there there are a number of really intrinsic." principles that are kind of at work here for me i think that this idea of competition and i think that's usually the fear that is cited most in these situations i think that that is sort of an outdated like commercial radio concern Mm -hmm. when you are indeed fighting for and competing against each other for advertising revenue in this way you know the, the argument could be made that there is like a membership base that you have a finite resource in that but but not Really, like people have been shown in nonprofit studies that Annie Casey puts this out their Pew Foundation also, that people give to multiple nonprofits and -hmm. they do so because they are like specifically, you know, they attune to those values and the values Mm -hmm. of community radio mean that even more so we should be able to work together, at least collaborate and, you know, acknowledge each other in this really meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that. The giving piece is, is I think, enough of a motivator. But also, I think, I think it's kind of gross to like continue <laughs> to conform to this commercial right. radio mindset. I, I think that you know, in Portland market particularly, like even with KBU having been here for almost fifty years, with you know all of these amazing like radio stations that are coming around. Our slice of the pie compared to commercial radio, compared to OPB, compared to all of these places... OPB
1: is public broadcasting.
0: Public broadcasting, that's our NPR network here in Oregon. They cover all Oregon. But our our piece in Metro Portland is significantly tinier than we give credit for. And so growing the communication amongst stations, making things amongst us stronger that we are able to collaborate and figure out in creative ways that we can get the word out about what we're doing is amazing. And and philosophically important when you take a look at how media conglomeration has changed the way that we consume culture. And especially, you know, with, you know, it's not simply just, you know, folks from far right you know, concerns taking over all these LPFM licenses. It's, it's partly that, but it's also, you know, us, us combating the spectacle, you know, like the this constant barrage of advertising and and this constant barrage of, of information that like it, it's, it's kind of like a poison in a way
1: hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it means you don't catch any crap then for helping out free for Portland. You
0: know, I, I don't. And, I, I, you know, I, I welcome feedback, actually. Like, I <laughs> you know, I'm interested in knowing where like people because we, we, we have these debates, you know, and I, you know, I, I feel so strongly about philosophically having a, a wider variety of a true public radio where yeah. the public is actually making the radio and there are more opportunities for the public to be on the air. That I I I feel I I can totally defend that <laughs> one station
1: only has 168 hours every week. Exactly. do no matter. It doesn't matter whether your station is a hundred thousand watts or ten watts. You each only have 168 hours, mm-hmm. and community radio tends to cut it up pretty well. Tends to tends to have a much more equitable distribution of those broadcast hours to the number of people and and diversity of people, and but yet eventually. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're you're running out. You're like running you out. You only have so
0: much so time. So we can add more, <laughs> more,
1: more chunks of 168 hours,
0: right? That are dedicated to open, free expression yeah. and equity experimentation. and experimentation in, in music, like supporting local music. You know, like the, there are lots of uh, incredible, lofty goals that we can fill the airwaves with, and 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 we can do so through collaboration and encouraging. Our, you know, our friends and other stations to develop, like giving them, you know, opportunities, talking with one another, at least to know who we are so that, you know, if they do have specific questions, they know they can talk to Becky or they can talk to these other folks. And, you know, there there are other ways of collaborating. CPB encourages this. And um, I think they do so in a different way. Like it's not simply this kind of like casual kind of finding Places where where mm-hmm. we we can collaborate. It's they want you to build master controls. They want you to like. <laughs> well, I mean, like s- yeah. seriously, and especially um, multimodal like kind of collaborations between radio and TV, for example. Right, right. So that that's sort of the impetus, but but I think anyone can really like do this piece.
1: What I enjoyed uh, so for National Radio Day, which I previewed <laughs> on our last show. Yeah. Uh, at, at your invitation, Becky, I went out to Palooza, which was a uh, three-day, near I guess three-day music yeah, three fest. Day. <laughs> uh, I went to one day uh, that happened on that, na- and we went for National Radio Day. And so there was a table and tent with a <laughs> sign that you stenciled. said, yep. Happy National Radio Day. Yep. <laughs> and there were X-Ray FM, Freeform uh-huh. Portland, and KBOO together on one table with volunteers from all and so many people walked up and many people would say, oh, yeah, I know about cable but I, I don't know about these other stations. Mm-hmm. Or some people would say, wait, wait, you're all radio? Wait, you're all community radio? Exactly. And the eyes went wide in so <laughs> many cases. I, I, it was amazing at this festival. And just to sit there and kind of watch it and, and have the, have the uh, privilege of being there was fantastic. And... It, I think exactly it seems so much stronger, right? And I think it grabs that much more attention when folks are like, so I have this selection of things in these different schedules that I can listen to uh, so many more things Mm -hmm. Um, and as well have an opportunity to be on air. At, at all three stations in one way or another. And and I think that that was, it was a fantastic way for me to celebrate National Radio Day. Uh, I went surrounded home, by radio. <laughs> surrounded by radio, surrounded by great music in the, in the 98 degree heat in the parking Holy lot. Holy cats. I, I think it, it
0: had to be like a 300 degrees it felt oh like. Oh my. But uh, nevertheless,
1: it, I think uh, it's a great example and the kind of thing that, uh, you know, I hope that we are encouraging folks to do in cities and towns across the country, where there are more than one station, um, and in many places there are now because of low power FM, yeah. uh, to collaborate to the best of your ability, and and you know, and sometimes you're going to be strapped with your own own needs, and so oh, yeah. part of it's just making sure to say hello, introduce. Right. Make sure you have each other's phone numbers and email addresses. Be friendly, so, so that at the very least, right? You know, and you know, and don't. If you've got a new low power phone station, don't be afraid to call up uh, the existing community station or public station. I've seen mm-hmm. a lot of really great collaborations between public radio and community radio in so many cities don't oh, assume Seattle
0: has done a great job of that by the way yeah. like their national radio day was really cool too don't assume
1: that that the, that the NPR folks are looking down their nose at you just don't really uh, or you know I mean they're really not NPR they're, they're public radio or local public radio don't assume right. it Put out the hand, say hello, give the opportunity for uh, for collaboration. I think that that's that's a great message.
0: Right. Well, I mean, if I were to put one little like jewel of knowledge in front of anybody who's listening, who's interested in fundraising or anything is you will never get anything unless you ask. You will never, ever get donations. You will never get collaborative. You will never be able to do this stuff unless you ask. You Don't have expect to,
1: people to notice and know what you not,
0: need. They're <laughs> yeah, not. Exactly.
1: They're not mind readers, no matter who they are. That's wonderful, Becky. That's a great note to close on. You're the <laughs> Development Director at KBU Community Radio. KBOO. In Thank you Portland, for having me. Oregon. And is uh, at KBOO.FM. Yes, it is. Online, and you've got you're on Instagram right. and on Twitter, Facebook, Facebook we're and gonna do Snapchat soon. So you can see, and, and I know you do much of that social media, yeah. <laughs> so folks can see your work, and it was something we've talked about before here on the show. Uh, so I think to see how I think you do a good job, and, and you're, you're constantly sharing some things that go on at the station. It's a uh, it's sort of vicariously at the station sometimes by watching the Instagram feed and short videos and things that, that you post. Oh, so thanks. I think it's a great example. For people to look at there
0: Thanks Thank you for having me It's been an honor and, and also it's a pleasure To say that You know Radio Survivor Is a really amazing part Of the Portland community too well, I know that you, know, you report you. everywhere But still we're, we're happy that you call Portland home with we us We can't help being A little bit local Yep it's <laughs> in the
1: blood Thanks a lot Once again That was Becky Myers She is a development director for Community Radio KBOO, KBOO, in Portland, Oregon. Coming up in just a moment is College Radio Watch with Jennifer Waits. But first, I want to remind you that you can find links to everything we talk about here on the show at our website. Just go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast and then uh, click on the link for podcast number 61. That's it. This is our 61st podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you'd help more listeners find out about the show. Please tell a friend or colleague if you think they'd like it or enjoy it. Also, it really helps when you rate or review the show on iTunes. Every extra rating gives us a little bump, helps us bubble up in the charts, potentially exposing the show to more radio survivors like us. And if you have any comments or questions for us, please send them along to podcast at radiosurvivor.com. And now, College Radio Watch.
3: We're joined on the line by, uh, via Skype with Jennifer Waits for College Radio Watch. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Eric. So we're going to talk about uh, two things today. One, a, a quick tragedy that illustrates, well, something, I guess, about, about college radio and, and the communities around it. And then, and then you took another tour, a tour of uh, Colorado State's radio station, KCSU. But first, let's start with the, um, the rather tragic and disgusting goings-ons at <laughs> University of Chicago uh, station WHPK.
2: Yes. Well, there were um, dramatic headlines that make it seem more disgusting than it probably actually is, um, but there, there were reports in the press about bedbugs at WHPK, which is the University of Chicago radio station. So there are a few articles about this in the press, and then the station made a statement on its Facebook page clarifying that there has not been an infestation. Um,
3: (laughs) Infestation is a strong word.
2: Yes, um, (laughs) but a single bed bug was seen on a few occasions, and at no time was more than one bed bug ever seen. And so they called in exterminators to set traps, and the de- exterminators determined that there was not an infestation, but because of all this, they temporarily closed the station, and um theater of chicago officials mandated that the station be temporarily closed, and that hosts have their residence residences inspected and cleared for bed bugs right and this, um, and this is um
3: the reason we're talking about this is because it it revealed some um some clearly longstanding – uh Uh, sentiments simmering in the, in this college radio community with the, with the, um, the volunteer DJs coming from outside the student body and the student DJs. uh, The, some people are quitting over, over what's happening.
2: Yeah. According to the station, some hosts resigned immediately uh, feeling that the mandate was an overreach by the university of Chicago officials. That was part of a Facebook post by the station and the station also posted nearly all hosts felt that if we had to do this, the University of Chicago should pay for it. So now the station is going to pay for the inspections. And this, I mean, it's also sort of connected to, you know, you're talking about some tensions. Uh, back in April, it was announced that community DJs would have to have background checks at the station. So I think these two things are both – um Issues of privacy uh, that some at the station are quite concerned about, you know you want me to have a background check, you want to inspect my home there's a narrative going on about all of those issues in addition to the bed bugs
3: well, uh good luck to the good people at the University of Chicago and w h p k
2: Yes, we hope they're back on the air soon yeah. uh,
3: so you uh, tell us tell us about your the next station tour that you're going to tell us about not not the one you've the next one you've taken sequentially in (laughs) calendar time but the next one you've written up for Radio Survivor
2: yes so this is field trip number 109 (laughs) and and actually I'm somewhat caught up so I took this field trip in July um so just last month you know while we're recording this it was still last month um, so I visited KCSU in Fort Collins, Colorado at Colorado State University and met up with the station manager there, Sam Bulkley. And he's a student and initially joined the station, um, because he needed to have another activity to fulfill part of his scholarship requirements. And, uh-huh. and then a few years later, he's running the place. So it, it's amazing how we all end up in stations and, You know, his he had a passion for music and so now is the station manager there. So we met up over the summer. It was pretty quiet on campus. um, He was still working away, training people and working on technology projects over the summer. They were interviewing for a new advisor for the station. So things were humming along, uh, although it wasn't a full schedule of live DJs at the time. So... Um, I learned a bit about the station's history. They've been on FM since 1964. Okay. So they've been around a long time, but they had a few decades where the station was a professionally managed NPR station uh, with not much student involvement and mostly classical programming. And it turned out that at a certain point, I think around the early 90s, there were students who started pushing for having it back under student control again. And the student protests worked, so starting in 1995, the station has been student run again, uh-huh. which is pretty amazing story actually. Um, and then in in good news for some of the community DJs who left at the time, they actually went on to help form a community radio station in Fort Collins, which wow. is KF KRFC. There's that best
3: case scenario again. I know where where, where a station uh, changes formats. And a group of uh, passionate music lovers uh, don't give up. And now you get two stations.
2: I know. A little bit of
3: turmoil and then more community radio.
2: I know. It's great. So they have a pretty powerful FM signal, KCSU does. um, And they're in relatively new digs in the student center. Um, They're under the domain of the Rocky mountain student media corporation. Um, and we've seen this sort of thing before where there's a student media organization on campus that is in charge of the radio station and the newspaper and campus magazines. So they're under their purview, um, and have a nice, a nice setup there with pretty new studio. Um, I heard it's always interesting to hear about kind of drama from the past or bad incidents from the past. And, there had been a big flood, I think in 1997, that flooded the whole campus and destroyed the radio station at the time. Mm. So at a certain point, they had to leave campus and be in temporary quarters. But now, years later, they're in a newly revamped building with new equipment and really nice space. Um, but actually, the bedbug story you know, kind of reminded me, Like, I feel like every time I visit a station, I hear about something that had happened in the past, like a flood or... Um,
3: yeah, a plague w- of bedbugs,
2: some sort of incident, you know, that, um, that really took the station off the air or took the station down for a while. But yeah, it, it was a fun visit. Um, I dragged my 10 year old daughter along, um, cause I was sort of road tripping around Colorado mm-hmm. during our vacation and we were having trouble, um, with our audio equipment to do the interview and the station manager said, Oh, why don't we just come and do it in the studio? So she got to record an interview with him in the studio with proper microphone and headphones. Aha! Uh, So that was a huge highlight. And we'll, we'll hear part of that.
3: Yeah. Miss B and
2: Sam Boakley,
3: Miss B and Sam Boakley.
2: What's your favorite memory at the station?
4: Oh man, that's a good question. Um, Oh, wow. My favorite memory of the... Um, does it have to be at the station or because of the station? doesn't matter. <laughs> okay. Um, probably um, getting to interview um, Say Anything um, at their concert because it was an interview that I didn't ever think that I would be able to get. And um, just interviewing bands in general are probably my g- best experiences because you get to meet all of these really cool artists and... Um, Talk to them about their music and ask questions that a lot of fans wouldn't be able to ask in general.
0: Um, Do you usually have bands come in?
4: Yeah, we have a lot of bands um, that come in studio, a lot of local bands, a lot of bands that are just touring through, stopping at the Aggie or Hoodies Half Note. Um, They'll either do interviews or in studios. Um, I've had a lot of really interesting in studios. (laughs) Do you have any college radio friends in Colorado? I mean, everyone who works here are my friends, yeah. Um, We also have um, friends down in um, Boulder at um, 1190 AM. Um, They're an AM radio station out of, uh, for um, CU, that's their college radio station. So we um, will partner with them every once in a while.
0: How many participants do you have?
4: Um, We have about, uh, I'd say, 50 um, volunteer DJs and then a staff Mm -hmm. of um, 14 people as well.
2: What's one of the weirdest things you have at the station?
4: One of the weirdest things we have at the station. Um, She's not here right now, but we have this cat totem thing that we call catness um, that we usually keep um, in the air studio that... um, just sort of stares at everyone and no one really, I don't know where it came from. And all of the staff is all of the older staff was very, um, just, they really loved the thing. And I was very confused as to why it was there. Um, so they, they, they always make jokes about Katniss and I'm like, what is this Katniss thing?
2: And what happened to it?
4: Um, I think, uh, Katniss is on a road trip to Wyoming right now.
2: (laughs) Um, And also, I was curious how you found out about the station.
4: Um, I found out about the station because uh, I actually had to get involved in some sort of um, activity on campus um, to fulfill a scholarship. And the previous years, I had done uh, IM sports. So um, I started... uh, just like looking around and I was like oh yeah we have a radio station I'm really into music and know a lot about bands that I listen to and stuff so this could be a really cool experience and um, yeah and so then I just volunteered DJing and uh, two years later now I'm station manager and it's it's pretty cool it's a pretty cool gig
0: <laughs> do you archive the radio shows
4: um, some of them do it's really up to the DJs um, if they want to record their shows and um, use it for later or anything
2: I was curious about the Fort Collins music scene and how you guys are connected with that.
4: Yeah, so um, Fort Collins music scene is is sort of weird because there's a whole bunch of different um, genres. A lot of people are into reggae and folk sort of stuff, um, but there's also like a huge um, sort of smaller, I guess not a huge scene, but a, a smaller scene of um, just a lot of. Um, alternative indie bands or um, even just some punk bands as well Um, and we try to get as many of them in studio as possible and try to work with the local venues as much as possible um, so that we can sort of expose these artists and have um, them get big because who knows if um, the next artist from Fort Collins is going to be the next big star that someone will look back three years later and be like oh KCSU got to do an interview with them in an in-studio and that's really cool
2: (laughs) what do you think the college radio scene is like in Colorado
4: um that's a good question I think that um in Fort Collins we have a really big following of people who um listen to our music or our station a lot Um, I feel like through the rest of Colorado, we're sort of the biggest station and we don't get down to Denver, which is probably the biggest populace in Colorado. So that's sort of uh, um, sort of disappointing and a little frustrating because if we could get down there, that would be so much more of a following. Um, So I think it's a little underrepresented because um, the two big schools are CSU and CU. Um, CU has an AM station, but they're... We're bigger than them um funding wise and just the uh, capabilities of what we can do d u has an online station um Colorado College in Colorado Spring has a small station um so I think it's sort of underrepresented uh, under sorry underrepresented compared to um bigger stations like ninety three three or ninety seven three yeah. um, all of those stuff that's owned by iHeartMedia.
2: media so so that was just our interview with Sam Bulkley, um, Miss B, my daughter, Miss B, and then I I popped in here and there. Like, sometimes I try to ask questions when she's doing her interview. Yeah. I try to get a few words in edgewise. So he was, the station manager was so nice. And, um, you know, it was great to, to see my daughter, uh, who's been kind of growing up in radio, participating like that at the station.
3: Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today via Skype. Sure. On Radio Survivors. Good to have you.
2: Yeah, thanks.
1: And my thanks go to Eric Klein and Jennifer Waits. And thanks to you for listening. We really appreciate it when you take an hour or so out of your week to join us in this celebration of radio. And it would be great if you haven't already, if you go ahead and subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or Stitcher, uh, Pocket Cast, Overcast, whatever your favorite podcast player is, subscribe. So you get it every single week. That way you can make sure you never uh, miss out on an episode And you can find all the notes from the show, links to things we talked about, on our website, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast. And we could use your help to help keep making the show, and we'd like to grow it. We'd like to bring this show to community radio stations around the country, especially with all these brand new low-power FM stations hitting the air. Uh, a lot of them could use some programming that is really consistent with their community radio mission. And we think the show would be great for them. We'd like to be able to offer it to them for free. But we need to put in extra time and effort and labor to take this uh, podcast and make it ready for any radio station to air. To make sure it is a consistent length. And we have all the infrastructure in place that they can be sure to get the show. Uh, You can do that by uh, donating to Radio Survivor. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support to see the ways you can help us out. I also want to tell you that we featured music from Little Glass Men and Broke for Free. You can find both these great artists At the Free Music Archive. Go to freemusicarchive.org. I'm Paul Reismanel, and I'm thanking you again for listening to Radio Survivor.